Good morning, everybody. Welcome to church this morning here with Liberty Lake Church. It is great to have you. Um, looking forward to sharing in God's Word today. And uh, we're back in the Gospel of Mark. And uh, very excited to open uh, the text with you this morning and walk through what's happening in the Gospel of Mark today as Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. I do want to share with you a couple of details. Uh, first of all, we are working hard here uh, at Liberty Lake towards reopening the church. We know uh, some of the, the conversation that's happening uh, with opening churches and the, the process and all of the restrictions. So um, we actually have a few people who are working on getting the details to that, trying to find that balance between uh, you know what, what's needed and, and what do we have to do and trying to accommodate and getting as many people together as we can. Second thing uh, with that is look forward to some email information. Our plan is as we move forward to send out that information via email and to communicate with you about what's happening and, and the process that we're going to be taking. Um, and on that note, if you're not sure if you're on our email list, please fill out the contact uh, page or the contact card that we have on our webpage and or our church app, libertylakechurch.com uh, or the Liberty Lake Church app that you can find in any of your app stores on your phone. Um, fill that out and send it in and that way we'll, we'll definitely be able to get you on the email list and make sure that you are in our list of communication. Once again, thank you for joining us. It's great to, to be here. I keep wanting to say to have you here, but you're not and I get it. Um, I'm still happy to be here with you. So we're going to open with a couple of songs as we uh, encourage you to sing along as you're comfortable in your home as loudly as you want. Make sure your neighbors can hear you as we praise the Lord with some music this morning. Morning. Won't you join us with You Are My Vision.
from wherever you've been. Come broken hearted, let rescue begin. Come find your mercy, O sinner, come kneel. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. So lay down your burdens, lay down your shame. All who are broken, lift up your face, O wanderer. Oh, 
wanderer, come home. You're not too far. So lay down your hurt. Lay down your heart. Come as you are. Amen. Thank you, guys. Uh, thank you, team. It's kind of nice to see so many of the team back, and uh, we're really looking forward to uh, growing and expanding into those who are here and hanging out with us, and uh, very, very excited about that. So thank you, guys, uh, for the work that you're doing. It's great to have you. Uh, kind of a new thing, uh, just trying to preach from a pulpit, looking at a camera and, and having an empty space. Uh, somebody was suggesting today that we put some of the mannequins in place and, and do that, and I really appreciated that, um, which we did not do. So, uh, But hopefully soon some of you can be here and you can take the role of the dummy and participate and be engaged. That was a joke. Did you guys get it? That was a joke. I, I, I think that was pretty well set up there. So anyway, very happy with myself right now. Uh, hey, I want to encourage you this morning, as we're engaging in this text, I want to remind each and every one of us that this, as we go through the text this morning, this is about uh, you and me doing personal business with God, not about us thinking about other people or, or thinking in our heads, man, that so-and-so needs to hear this, or that's that church, or that's that person. I really want to challenge you to, to keep the focus, keep the attention on your own heart and what God might be doing. Uh, Sally and I, we had, uh, we were running some errands the other day, uh, you know, real essential stuff like hot tub parts and things like that, that we're, we're trying to restore an old broken down free hot tub, uh, which turns out it needs a lot of work. Isn't that funny how they're free when they need a lot of work? And uh, we were out running around and we decided because our day was getting long that we would do our, our dinner out and, and we would do it for lunch. Um, on it was actually Friday, and we're driving down the road, and we thought, you know what, let's go do Dairy Queen. We love Dairy Queen. It's a good cheap, especially their $6 thing. This is not an ad for Dairy Queen, but that's we, we like their $6 lunch. And so we drove in, and the parking lot seemed like it was pretty full, and I saw somebody sitting inside, and I thought to myself, they must have their lobby open. We want to go in the lobby. We want to go and hang out, have a relaxed time, not sitting in the car eating, but but actually sitting inside and just just unwind and I pulled in I actually drove past the parking lot had to turn around and come back to it because we decided we were going to eat it instead of doing drive through I pull in and I get out of the car expecting to go in and find the lobby open and there's a sign on there that you can't of course read from your car because I don't have eyes to be able to see that far but it said they're not opening till June uh something uh, like June 28th or something like that they're 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 putting it out a ways and I walked away from that going but it looked like they were open I mean, all the signs around there, and, and, and they could have been open. And anyway, I found myself not particularly upset, but just disappointed because we were expecting to have something else to do. And um, I think at first glance, I kind of felt like this might have been how what was happening in the text. And I'll share with you more as we go through how, how the Lord unpacked my heart and, and opened my eyes to some of what was happening in our text today. So turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 12. And you say to me, Shane, there's only three verses here. How can this fit into a sermon this morning? I had the same thought as we began, as I began studying this week. But follow with me and let's see what the Lord does. Mark chapter 11, verse 12. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. 
And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Now, there's two reasons, well, specifically two reasons that we're actually going to end right here. First of all, um, the, the text is bigger uh, than just this, these 12 verses. In fact, if you uh, have your Bible open, you'll notice that the lesson of the withered fig tree comes back to us in Mark's text, uh, back in, down in uh, Mark chapter 11, verse 20. You'll actually see that it looks like there's a, the, the literary form of sandwiching a story within another story here that's happening. Um, and that is that Jesus, uh, in Mark chapter um, 11, just before this, the triumphal entry, he comes into Jerusalem, And at the end of that day, he goes in and looks around the temple, but it was late in the day, and so they left and went out to Bethany. And this is the next day, and he's on his way back, and he's passing by the fig tree, and and this happens. And and in the middle of this story of the fig tree, the cursing of the fig tree, and then the lesson of the fig tree, we actually see Jesus go back and cleanse the temple. And so we're going to break down this passage into those three parcels uh, as we um, go over this passage for the next couple of weeks, most likely. I'm, I'm just assuming it's going to be three weeks, and, and we're going to shoot for that target. So what we have in this process is Jesus is returning to the temple in Jerusalem. He was there last night. He did the big triumphal entry, and he's coming back to actually enter into the temple, um, and, or coming back into Jerusalem. And he's hungry, and he's on his way into Jerusalem. He's hungry, and he sees the fig tree. Um, you know, the, the other, time, other times that we see Jesus hungry specifically was that it's actually um, during his temptation, 40 days and 40 nights uh, in the wilderness. That's one of the other times we actually see Jesus referencing his hunger in, this partic- in the human sense of actually feeling hunger and wanting to eat something. It's important to remember as we build in the text over the next three weeks, too, that this is Jesus heading to Jerusalem, knowing that he's going to his death, knowing that he's going to the crucifixion. And um, it's just important to remember the context with which this particular uh, passage happens. Interestingly enough, uh, along with the curse of the fig tree, uh, this is the only time we actually see Jesus cursing uh, anything in, the, in, in his ministry uh, in this way, that, that he's actually putting a curse on the fig tree for not producing its fruit. Now, I'll, I'm like you, I, I was looking at that going, okay, Lord, what are we doing? Why is this even in here? What's the purpose? And as, as I began to wrestle with it and, and study, actually, I had to go back and study fig trees because I... I no context for understanding how fig trees grow or why they do what they do or what the process is. And it was, it's been a really good week of, of learning for me, but also of real challenge. Um, because in the context of fig trees, uh, the, the, the question that, that I asked myself was, why was Jesus expecting to find something to eat? And we're going we're gonna to look in just a minute that, that why Mark actually mentions the season issue, but why was Jesus expecting to find something to eat off this fig tree? Well, you have to understand how fig trees produced their fruit, what their lifespan was. So I have it here for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share that with you. Um, and, uh, you know, if you want to take notes, great. I don't know that this will change your life. But I think it will impact your view of, of what God or Jesus was doing here in the text. First thing we know about fig trees is that they, their harvest time is typically mid-August to mid-October. So they're, they're kind of a fall, end of summer, early fall harvest of fig trees. That's when the figs are ripe. 
At the end of that season, as the figs are harvested, the fig tree actually loses its leaves. It actually drops all of its leaves off and it sprouts the buds that begin to then grow and they winter with just the buds. No leaves, just the buds. Um, These buds in the spring, they actually come back sometime around March, uh, typically in their growth pattern. They grow into small green hops that are typically called pigums. uh, And maybe I'm saying that wrong, but it's the Hebrew word. They actually specifically reference them they're not ripe figs but they are on the fig tree and they are beginning to swell and to grow and um, develop as fruit then at after that process as those grow that the the leaves begin to grow in mid-april after which, and, and from that a time of April when the leaves grow, from that point on the figs are beginning to ripen up until the harvest in August. So interestingly, most of our foliage that we have, like uh, one of my favorite uh, plants to talk about in the spiritual aspect of this is tomatoes, right? Because tomatoes, they put all kinds of leaves out. And if you don't go back and and pluck off the leaves and and, and prune those back a little bit, you can get a lot of foliage with very little, very little fruit. In fact, we have this beautiful cherry tree out in our backyard. And two years ago, I tried to prune it, which I'm going to get instruction on this because I'm learning a lot about trees I don't know. But I pruned it. And we have a lot of leaves and no fruit coming off. So obviously I did something wrong because previous years without pruning, it produced all kinds of fruit. Um, And so I have obviously done something wrong there and I need to learn. But in this process, we always see leaves first and then it blossoms and then we see fruit. But with figs, it's different. It's, it, it actually functions differently. And interestingly enough, their life seems to come from the vine. And, and they're, they're, they weather, they winter through being connected to the vine and, and growing in that aspect. And the leaves are the last thing that happened before the fruit ripens. Very interesting. I thought to myself, okay. Um, so it, it deeply impacts what Jesus is thinking as he approaches this particular fig tree, right? So this unripened fruit um, is actually it's something that the Jews would actually eat. This this pigum uh, would or pegum is actually food that they would go and take and eat before they were completely ripened as figs. So when Jesus approaches this tree and he sees all the leaves, he's expecting to find fruit because the very last thing that it should have produced were the leaves. There should have been fruit if this tree was of any value. There should have been fruit, which is, I believe, why Mark mentions the season. Now, if you go into any commentaries and you read about this, you'll actually hear about some of the, the differences, some of the, the, the um, various translations, and, and I was reading up on a couple of them. Uh, one particular guy felt like this uh, actually was one of the few outbursts of anger from Jesus, so therefore questioning his deity. Um, somebody else uh, looked at this and thought, what an unjust exercise of supernatural power. And he, he actually said that it was a waste of supernatural power. Couldn't it have been used more appropriately to have caused the, the fig tree to produce massive amounts of figs? And as, a, as we were wrestling through this and, and looking at the bigger picture, uh, it, it seems pretty short-sighted to say that Jesus was wasting his supernatural power. And even maybe misleading to think that somehow this is an outburst of anger, which I'll be honest with you, as I first wrestled with it, I kind of thought, Jesus, what are you doing? Leave the fig alone. I mean, what's the point? And as we sandwich this between 
the, this, the three sections of text, I think it becomes very, very clear. So today we're going to focus on this idea of a tree having tons of foliage but no fruit. The appearance of uh, a foliage or, or being in season, ready to go, but having no fruit. So I believe that as we think about why Mark mentions it was not in the season for figs is because according to their growth pattern, there would not have been ripe figs on there. And so it's, it's particularly important to understand that this time when he's coming through, when the tree was in full leaf, that, that the, the leaves should not have been that full if there weren't figs on that tree, that it should have been producing fruit. And so a fruit tree, by design, that's created for the purposes of bearing fruit, that has no fruit, it, it really is, and I want to be careful how I say this, but I think the most clear way to say it is that it has no value as a fig tree. Um, and, and I got in trouble a while back because I said something about how flowers have no value, and it really kind of fits into the, the flower category in my life, which I'm not saying flowers don't have value. I realize they do. Some of them are beautiful. Um, but from a fruit-bearing prospect, a, a tree that's designed to bear fruit, a tree that is specifically created to bear fruit, that is bearing no fruit, has no value in the context of being a fig tree. And from that perspective, Jesus then curses the fig tree. What does he say? No one will ever eat from you again. We know, and we'll, we'll see it as we go through the next couple of passes, passages, that Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. He's, he's actually heading to the temple where the word of God and the people of God had been called for a purpose. And in that perspective, and from that view, he enters into a place that has all of the trappings of religion, all of the all of the 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 exterior looks of being a place of God, and he finds it to be void of fruit. And I believe that as we see this and as we exercise uh, our, our wrestling with this text over the next two weeks, we will see the, the value, the purpose behind the curse, the purpose behind him pointing out the fruitlessness of their religion and how that's going to be responded to by God. But for today's purposes, we're going to focus just on the fig tree and the lack of fruit that's present in a fig tree that was designed to be a fig tree. And so when you think about this idea of fruit, when you think about this idea of, of a vine and, and producing fruit, the first thing that came to my mind was John 15, 1 through 7. What do we see in the Bible about fruit and the bearing of fruit and, and what it looks like for the church to produce fruit? Well, follow with me, John 15. We're going to read this, this, this first couple of passages here. And I'm sorry, you guys, I, uh, my, my tech guys, we're only going to read through verse 7. I didn't realize that I had a double number in there, but you'll, you'll see where I stop and just follow along. But John chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. I am, the vine, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. 
Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I was just reading along into verse 17. There's just so much good stuff in there, but I'm going to wait. What does Jesus say to his disciples in that passage? The very first thing that, that we see is that there's actually the will of the Father, the purpose of all of this is that we abide in the vine and that we produce fruit, right? And, and I love this particular passage because it specifically says that if you don't produce fruit, you can expect to be cut off of the tree. And, and in the later on in the passage, it's actually thrown in, in away because you wither and burned. But I love the fact that even if you are producing fruit, you're going to still be pruned to produce more fruit. The purpose of our lives, the purpose of being connected to Christ is to bear fruit. It's not just to escape being burnt. It's not to escape hell. It's to bear fruit. It's to be fruitful in our lives, fruitful in our faith, in our, in our following of Christ. It's, it's a purposeful, intended, created value that he has given each of his children that he has created us for. We know that from Ephesians 2.10. And so as we think about being connected to the vine and production of fruit, and, and we look at this fig tree that Jesus curses, he, here a fig tree is in full foliage. It has all of its leaves, and Jesus walks up to it expecting to find fruit. And when there is no fruit, he pronounces a curse on that particular fig tree that it will essentially die. It will bear, it will no longer food, feed. No one will eat from it. And you'll notice in that particular passage that the, the emphasis in there, uh, besides bearing fruit, is that we're abiding in Christ, that we remain, that we stay constant in Christ, that we can do nothing unless we're connected to him, that we produce nothing on our own. But the point in the purpose of the, the, the tree, of the fig tree, was to produce fruit. The point, and I believe the purpose of our lives, the, the value for us is that in abiding in Christ, we would actually be fruit bearers. I know that there's times in my own life as I read scripture, as I watch the challenge, the, the battle between the flesh, the war that we talked about uh, through James that wages within my members against that of the word of God, that there are times where I'm frustrated and I find myself uh, really caught in that, in, in the, the um, tension between the, the desires of my flesh and the times that I sin, like, like uh, Jane, or, uh, Paul talks about in Romans, and, and the things that I want to do and the things that I don't want to do and how that battle rages on, and I, I get it. I understand that, and, and at times I think we're tempted to be discouraged and to quit, to, to actually just, just say, what's the point? And I think that in, in my own life, there's, there's moments where I forget why, what I'm called to, what I'm created for. 
And surprisingly, this little fig tree that was sitting on the road to Jerusalem has really encouraged and challenged my own heart. This, this example of recognizing and remembering what God's created us for. What is the purpose that we're called into as children of God? Um, and, and Jesus says it's to bear fruit. We're going to see more of this, actually, as we uh, unpack the text this morning. Because one of the challenges, one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves is, what's the fruit then? What are we producing? And you, like me, we all go, oh, Galatians 5. Well, you're right, because we're going to look at that. But there's, I, I believe it's actually even bigger than just Galatians 5. This is the part that I think has been really challenging and encouraging for me today. We're going to actually look for just a moment at two aspects of fruit that I believe we're supposed to have. We're supposed to bear fruit, one, in our spiritual growth, in our, in our personal spiritual growth. There should be evidence of transformation and change and growth. We're going to look at that starting in Galatians chapter 5. But there's also the fruit of the gospel. There's a fruit of a harvest that's going out that when the church lives connected to the vine, that the the, the fruit, the harvest expands, that there's planting and there's sowing and there's watering and there's a harvest that's brought in or gathered by God. And I'm calling that the gospel, which I I realize it was, we had a great conversation, Travis and I, this morning, because he looked at me and said, so by that, do you mean that we all have to be evangelists? And I said, yeah, because I'm not Jerry Larson. I, I, I watch what Jerry Larson does with people, and I'm like, man, how does he do it at every single place? I'm, I'm curious to see what I'm like if I make it to 80. I, I'm, I'm just wondering that if I get to that point, if I'll just be, if I'll be so passionate and, and, and less concerned about particular aspects of my life where I'll just tell everybody all the time, I don't know, but it's amazing for me to watch him. But I don't think God's calling me to be Jerry Larson. Specifically in this time of division and, and chaos that is growing and swelling up in our country, the church has a very important question to ask. What does it mean to be the church? How do we respond to these things? And I would encourage you that as, as we consider what it means to be faithful and, and abiding in Christ, that it's quite possibly not a, post, a Facebook post. It's not a position paper. It's not an article or a statement that we put out on on the front of our church. But it's how we live. It's how we bear fruit in the midst of these things, in the midst of this life. It's, It's how we abide in Christ. So let's take a few minutes and look at what it means to be bearing fruit. What does this fruit look like? Um, you were correct when you thought of Galatians chapter 5. So turn there with me, Galatians 5.22. Galatians 5.22 through 26 says this. Make sure, yes, that's the passage. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with His passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You see, the picture of fruit in this particular text has this amazing perspective. It actually looks a lot like Jesus, right? 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of these things. And he ends with how we treat one another. If we're doing this, then let us not become arrogant or conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. It should reflect in the life of the church that we're living or exercising this fruit. We don't even exercise the fruit. It's the outcome of being attached to the vine, abiding in the vine. It's what the Spirit does in the life of the believer as we stay attached, as we abide in Christ. Paul specifically references how he addresses this particular issue in 1 Corinthians 9, chapter, uh, chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. He says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul sees this perspective of pursuing Christ, of, of living this life of faith as being that of an athlete, of a, of a high-level athlete who's disciplining their body, who's focused on the, on the goal, the prize. And he even references us, there's athletes that train more focused and with more purpose and with more self-control and discipline going after a perishable wreath, a trophy, than that of the church that is pursuing the imperishable reward of the father the prize and he says i do all these things i don't do it aimlessly i do it intentionally i do it with purpose i love his illustration of boxing in the air right there's no more frustrating thing than just swinging your hands trying to hit something that isn't there and I, I know, I think at times, you guys, we feel like that. We're looking at our spiritual lives. We, we look at what it means to be the church. I was even thinking about that within this context of, of figuring out how do we open the church? How do we deal with all of the, the uh, recommendations or demands? I don't know what they even are anymore. The language is so confusing, depending on which article you read or which, which uh, uh, scientific document you're going through, if, if we can even use science with some of the stuff that's coming out. But... Oops, there I go. Look at that, me putting out my personal opinion. There's a chance I could have offended some of you with that. Imagine that. Here I am trying to love people and talk about this stuff, and my own self just wanders right out in front of me and and jumps out of my mouth. What What did James say about our tongue? Hmm. This whole going live thing stinks. We should pre-record this so I can edit it, edit this stuff out of here. But the reality is, is that we way too often, especially I think in our culture today, run aimlessly as Christians. What's your purpose? What, are, what will of God are you following today? What is, what is the purpose of my pursuit, of my staying attached to the vine? Is it just so that I can preach on Sunday? I'll tell you, if that's the only reason I'm in the Word of God is to preach, then I'm empty and dry, and, and what you receive is, is paramount to just a performer's best guess at what God might be doing in His Word. If my purpose in life is merely to produce a Sunday on a, or a sermon on a weekly basis, then I'm not connected to the vine, I'm not relying on Him, I'm not abiding in Him. Because it takes self-control, discipline, 
intentionality. Paul seems to understand that this is so important that he surrenders his physical life to the purposes of spiritual growth and the spiritual disciplines of that. The second aspect that we see in this is that there is a gospel harvest that Jesus doesn't let us off the hook on this. Look in Matthew chapter 13. Verse 23, it's the end of the parable of the sower, right? He, he gives this parable that he talks about the, 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 the hard ground, the, the hard compact ground, the rocky ground, the ground with thorns and, and weeds, and then the good soil. And he walks through all of this stuff, and then he shares with his disciples in, in Matthew 13, 23. As he explains this parable with them, because they're confused, they're looking at this going, what in the world? What do you, what do you mean, Jesus? And, and he explains all of them, and we're just going to close with the last segment, the last verse that he gives us, Matthew 13, 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understand it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another, sixty, and in another, thirty. So you have this picture of, of, of a person, this good ground that receives the word of God and they accept it and it transforms their lives and they begin to bear fruit out of that at several different levels of fruit bearing. But the word of God implanted in the lives of people is meant to bear fruit. It is meant to cause transformation and change. And where I think that we tie this into the gospel, we, we're going to actually go back and look at what Paul says about fruit specifically in this harvest. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Paul says this, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the, or are you not of the flesh and behave only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wage according to the labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Paul talks about this whole idea of a harvest that happens that comes from the, the work of the, those who are planting seed, the, the, the outgoing aspect of the gospel. And the purpose of this is so that we would grow and we would become this, this field of harvest. And, and it's not just, uh, it, it's bigger than just you and me. It's, it's actually intended by God's growth and his purposes. And yet here, in 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing a church that looks a lot like James, right? Isn't it interesting that, that Paul says, and how do I know that you're people of the flesh? How do I know that you're immature believers? Because there's jealousy and conflicts among you. Because you argue over what apostle they're following. They're taking pride in who they're following. And they're having conflict over that within the church. 
And Paul's saying that if that's present, then you're just merely being human. You're not actually exercising the, the, the supernatural aspect or the, the aspect of being connected to God and therefore growing in maturity and reflecting that spiritual growth that affects all of those around us. If we continue to read um, in several of these passages, you would see actually Paul ties it back to uh, loving one another and, and building in the context of relationship. And, and we'll see that happen um, even in Mark as we go through. I think the question that we really need to ask ourselves as we're considering what it means to be followers of Christ, even at this time in this culture, with all of the division, all of the chaos, is are we being the church? Are we loving one another regardless of our political views, of our opinions of these things? You know, one of the things that we're wrestling with as a staff is how do we encourage our brothers and sisters to come back and to congregate again? Some people feel like wearing masks are important. Some people feel like wearing masks are not. Are we going to love one another? Or are those kind of things going to be the things that we divide over when we walk in the door? We have people that have different views politically. We have people that have different views socially. We have people that disagree on biblical principles, biblical how you interpret or apply certain aspects of Scripture. Are we going to be the church that fights and divides over things that aren't critical to the kingdom of heaven and therefore reveal that we're truly immature? Or are we going to look and, and, and recognize that we need to be abiding in and, and, and seeking after God and living in that reality? That's been the conviction of my own heart, you guys. Because I have personal opinions about everything that's going on. And the real challenge for me is, as I'm wrestling with those personal opinions is wrestling with the reality of the gospel, the importance of living a life that reflects the gospel regardless of where I'm at. I had a conversation with, um, we, you can see it in, in the, um, if you're on the news or you're watching any social media stuff, uh, you know, I've been invited into uh, dialogues in, into those, in those places to talk about how Christians need to go and you know, take over the government and get back into politics. Um, and we have that for schools and we have that for, for all kinds of different things. And, and the, the reality is, as I'm wrestling with what it means to be a Christ follower in this process, you're right. We need Christians in every aspect of, of our country. We need Christians in every aspect of work and relationship and, and, and social stuff. All of those things are true. We need to be out there. But if there's no fruit attached to the, to the appearance of Christianity, if there's no fruit attached to the title of Christianity, then are we not just like the fig tree that Jesus cursed on his way to Jerusalem? If we, the church, claim to be followers of Christ, and yet we're fighting over things that are not biblically important, if we claim to be followers of Christ, and yet our homes are not built around and are not reflecting the fruit of the Spirit of God being lived out, being matured and developed because of our attachment to the vine, are we not just like the fig tree that had tons of leaves but no fruit? It did not, it was not fulfilling the will of the Father. It was not fulfilling what it was called for and designed and created to be. 
My conviction is that far, far too often we are completely comfortable with coming to a church gathering, putting on the appearance of Christianity, the appearance of religion, and we leave it at the door when we walk out of the church. It does not affect how we live. It does not affect how we treat people. I remember early on in this process, um, one of our staff really challenged my heart and asked me if I was praying for some of our leadership's salvation, some of our political leadership, their salvation here in Washington State. And I had to honestly say, no, I wasn't. I was trying to measure whether or not praying for that, you know, the foot crushing of the skull that's in Psalms that David does was appropriate. I'm just, that was my heart. I felt, I felt like things were, were so out of whack. And yet the conviction of this staff member was to say, does, does the gospel not apply here? Is that not what the church is called to? To pray for, to be connected to the heart of Christ, to be so attached to the vine that when we see the lost, when we see those who are religious and who are struggling, when we see in our own hearts that struggle and that tension that we cry out to the Lord and we ask for His wisdom, for His direction, for His love, for His work. And I believe that's what the gospel does call us to be. Brothers and sisters, if we claim to be Christ followers and we are living reckless, undisciplined lives, lives that reflect the fruit of the flesh, which is mentioned just before Galatians chapter 5, 22. Go back and read the few verses before that. If we are living those lives and we somehow think that because we've said a prayer, because we go to church, that somehow we're okay, I believe that we are just like the fig tree. We are deceived and we are posturing ourselves to be the fruit, the branches that are cut off and thrown away and burned. It is time for us to ask the really hard question. Why is there no fruit evident in my life? Why do I claim to be a Christian and have no results of evidence? Ultimately, I believe it's because we are not connected to the vine and we need to make that a, a very important discussion, a very important question that we take to the Lord. And maybe we, we talk about that within our homes, with our spouses. Maybe we talk about that with, with a brother, somebody that we trust, that, that we know is walking with the Lord. But we need to address this question. Is it possible that Jesus would show up to our service on a Sunday morning and walk in and say, where's the fruit? I see a lot of leaves. I see a lot of foliage. But I'm missing the fruit. I'm missing what I called you to. I'm missing the will of the Father here is that we would bear much fruit. That's the challenge that I'm wrestling with today. That's the challenge I believe God's called us to wrestle with as we consider what it means to be Christians, to be followers of Christ. Please ask this question. Are, are we just being fig trees that are producing no fruit? Are we that fig tree on the road to Jerusalem? Next week will be equally challenging as we look at Jesus cleansing, clearing the temple. 
So I want to challenge you and I want to encourage you to do the same work that God's calling it for me to do. And that is to, to look at our hearts, to look at our lives, to look at our actions. And this isn't about change, making behavior modifications. We can all do that for a day. Some of you are even good Christians. You can do it for a week. I think we need to get right with the Lord. We need to get honest and say, God, is this me? Am I a fruitless believer? Is my marriage or my home life, my work life, my my personal quiet life, are are there things that happen in the dark when nobody else is around that that are despicable and defile your name, that, that defy your character and your nature? If that's true, brothers and sisters, then we need to fall on our face before the Lord and repent and acknowledge those things. And be like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, to take it seriously, to to, to look at it and address it like an athlete would, and to be intentional. What's an aspect of intentionality that you can do just this week? Turn off your stupid phone and read your Bible. Turn off the TV and read the Bible. I have an idea. Shut the news off in your house for one week and only read Scripture and see what your attitude, see what you're like at the end of that week. I bet you many of us would be a whole different person if we actually engage the Word of God with the same kind of energy we do everything else in our lives. We'd be totally different. And we'd probably see a completely different effect in our culture, if we as the church would intentionally abide in Christ as the vine. Would you pray with me as we close? Father, I am grateful that you so consistently attack and address the fruitless aspects of my life. God, I'm thankful that that we're pruned if we do and we're pruned if we don't. That, That you that you are about bearing much fruit. Not, not just measly fruit, not just, not just a, a, a sick and weak fruit, but you are intentionally causing and, and, and bringing opportunities into the Christians' lives that we would bear much fruit. And I thank you that you are the source of that, that it's not based on my ability, it's not based on, on, on my goodness or my efforts. And yet, God, I feel the tension that you put in your word to say, we've got to be about being intentional. We need to pursue you. We need to abide in you. We need to seek you. And Paul relates it to being an athlete. And I remember as a kid what it was like to be an athlete. I'm long gone from that kind of discipline in my life. And yet I think we need it. I think we need to get serious about pursuing and, and following you. So God, in this time of chaos and division, in this, in this time of, of unrest in our country, would you teach us to be the church? How to set aside our political views, how to set aside all of the things that would divide us as a church and set us on an intentional, purposed, focused direction about abiding in Christ and reflecting your glory, reflecting the gospel, the good news of the gospel to the nation. Help us to flourish. 
as your fruit, as your branches attached to the vine who is Jesus. Help us to flourish as only you can do in difficult times, as only you can do in the good times. Help us to be what we're called to be. Help us to be fruit bearers in every aspect, in every situation, in every corner of our lives. Not for our glory, but for yours alone. In your name, amen. Won't you join us uh, for our final song, 10,000 Reasons? Bless the Lord, O oh my soul.
end draws near and my time has come still my soul will sing your praise Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man, no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We have been called by God to, fo- to follow, to live to exercise this grace, this gift that we've been given, not because of us, but because of who He is. So as we consider what it means to walk in those good works this week, I want to challenge you and encourage you to not not to be complacent, not to be the sideline fans who sit and cheer on other people doing the work of the ministry but to engage. And if you don't know where, then exercise James chapter 1. If we lack wisdom, we are to ask. Ask God what He would have you to do. Seek the Lord and He will be found. It's one of the great promises of Scripture. So as we consider what it means to be the church, as we consider what it means to follow Christ this week, I want to encourage you to do it intentionally. Make time to be in the Word. Make time to be in prayer. Make time to listen to sit quiet and hear from the Lord. And let's get after being lights of our nation, the lights of our community, the light of the gospel. And maybe it's just with one neighbor, but we have been called to such a great, wonderful task by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's go and live and walk as he's called us to do. God bless you. We'll see you guys next week.